0: Welcome to Old Treasures Made New, your devotional podcast on the go or at home, where we read the scriptures and reflect on them with those from the past. Today, we'll be reading Luke chapter 3, verses 21 to 38, and then through J.C. Ryle's expository thoughts on Luke. Please take a moment to pause and to ask the Holy Spirit to bring understanding and to apply what we hear. Luke chapter 3, verses 21 to 38. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form, like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about thirty years of age, being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Mathat. The son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Janai, the son of Joseph, the son of Mattathias, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Elsli, the son of Nagai, the son of Maath, the son of Mattathias, the son of Simeon, the son of Josèk, the son of Joda, the son of Joanan, the son of Resa, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Shitil, the son of Neri the son of Melchi, the son of Adai, the son of Kosum, the son of Almeidim, the son of Ur, the son of Joshua, the son of Eliezer, the son of Jorim, the son of Mathat, the son of Levi, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Jonam, the son of Eliakim, the son of Melia, the son of Mena, the son of Matathah, the son of Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Salah, the son of Nation, the son of Amminadab, the son of Admin, the son of Arni, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah. The son of Nahor, the son of Serug, the son of Reu, the son of Peleg, the son of Eber, the son of Shelah, the son of Canaan, the son of Arphaxad, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalalel, the son of Canaan, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. We see in the passage before us the high honor the Lord Jesus has put on baptism. We see that among others who came to John the Baptist, the Savior of the world came and was baptized. An ordinance which the Son of God was pleased to use, and afterwards to appoint for the use of his whole church, ought always to be held in peculiar reverence by his people, Baptism cannot be a thing of slight importance if Christ himself was baptized. The use of baptism would never have been enjoined on the Church of Christ if it had been a mere outward form, incapable of conveying any blessing. It is hardly necessary to say that errors of every sort and description abound on the subject of baptism. Some make it idol of it, and exalt it far above the place assigned to it in the Bible. Some degrade it and dishonor it and seem almost to forget that it was ordained by Christ himself. Some limit the use of it so narrowly that they will baptize none unless they are grown up and can give full proof of their conversion. Some invest the baptismal water with such magic power that they would like missionaries to go into heathen lands and baptize all people, old and young indiscriminately, and believe that however ignorant the heathen may be, baptism must do them good on no subject perhaps in religion have christians more need to pray for a right judgment and a sound mind let it suffice us to hold firmly the general principle that baptism was graciously intended by our lord to be a help to his church and a means of grace and that when rightly and worthily used we may confident look upon it for a blessing but let us never forget that the grace of god is not tied to any sacrament and that we may be baptized with water without being baptized with the Holy Spirit. We see, secondly, in this passage, the close connection that ought to exist between the administration of baptism and prayer. We are specifically told by Luke that when our Lord was baptized, he was also praying. We need not doubt that there is a great lesson in this fact, and one that the Church of Christ has too much overlooked. We are meant to learn from the baptism which God blesses must be a baptism accompanied by prayer. The sprinkling of water is not sufficient. The use of the name of the blessed trinity is not enough. The form of sacrament alone conveys no grace. There must be something else besides all this. There must be the prayer of faith. A baptism without prayer, it may be confidently asserted, is a baptism on which we have no right to expect God's blessing. Why is it that the sacrament of baptism appears to bear so little fruit? How is it that thousands are every year baptized and never give the slightest proof of having received benefit from it? The answer to these questions is short and simple. In the vast majority of baptisms, there is no prayer except the prayer of the officiating minister. Parents bring their children to the front without the slightest sense of what they are doing. Sponsors stand up and answer for the child, in evident ignorance of the nature of the ordinance they are attending, and as a mere matter of form. What possible reason have we for expecting such baptisms to be blessed by God? None, none at all. Such baptisms may well be barren of results. They are not baptisms according to the mind of Christ. Let us pray that the eyes of Christians on this important subject may be opened. It is one on which there is great need of change. We see, thirdly, in these verses, a remarkable proof of the doctrine of the Trinity. We have all three persons of the Godhead spoken of as cooperating and acting at one time. God the Son begins the mighty work of his earthly ministry by being baptized. God the Father solemnly accredits him as the appointed mediator by a voice from heaven. God the Holy Spirit descends in a bodily shape like a dove upon our Lord, and by so doing, declares that this is he to whom the Father gives the Spirit without measure. John 3 34. There is something deeply instructive and deeply comforting in this revelation of the Blessed Trinity at this particular season of our Lord's earthly ministry. It shows us how mighty and powerful is the agency that is employed in the great business of our redemption. It is the common work of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. All three persons in the Godhead are equally concerned in the deliverance of our souls from hell. The thought should cheer us when disturbed and cast down. The thought should hearten and encourage us when weary in the conflict with the world, the flesh, and the devil. The enemies of our souls are mighty, but the friends of our souls are mightier still. The whole power of the triune Jehovah is engaged upon our side. A threefold cord is not easily broken, Ecclesiastes 4.12. We see, fourthly, in these verses, a marvelous proclamation of our Lord's office as mediator between God and man. A voice was heard from heaven at his baptism, which said, You are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. There is but one who could say this. It is the voice of God the Father. These solemn words, no doubt, contain much that is deeply mysterious. One thing, however, about them is abundantly clear. They are a divine declaration that our Lord Jesus Christ is the promised Redeemer, whom God from the beginning undertook to send into the world, and that, with His incarnation, sacrifice, and substitution for man, God the Father is satisfied and well-pleased. In Him... He regards the claim of His holy law as fully discharged. Through Him, He is willing to receive poor, sinful man to mercy and to remember his sins no more. Let all true Christians rest their souls on these words and draw from them daily consolation. Our sins and shortcomings are many and great. In ourselves, we can see no good thing. But if we believe in Jesus... The Father sees nothing in us that he cannot abundantly pardon. He regards us as the members of his own dear Son, and for his Son's sake, he is well-pleased. We see, lastly, in these verses, what a frail and dying creature man is. We read, at the end of the chapter, a long list of names containing the genealogy of the family in which our Lord was born, traced up through David and Abraham to Adam. How little we know of many of these 75 people whose names are here recorded. They all had their joys and sorrows, their hopes and fears, their cares and troubles, their schemes and plans, like any of ourselves. But they have all passed away from the earth and gone to their own place. And so it will be with us. We too are passing away and shall soon be gone. Forever, let us bless God. That in a dying world we are able to turn to a living Savior. I am He, says Jesus, who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive for evermore. I am the resurrection and the life. Revelation one eighteen and John eleven twenty five. Let our main care be to be one with Christ and Christ with us. Joined to the Lord Jesus by faith we shall rise again to live for evermore. The second death shall have no power over us. Because I live, says Christ, you shall live also. John fourteen nineteen. That is the end of Raoul's expository thoughts for these verses. Let us carefully consider what we've heard today, and may the Lord be pleased to bring the growth for His glory. In considering what we've just heard, would you prayerfully ask yourselves and others the following questions? First, what place does baptism have for you or your church? If you have never been baptized, does the fact that Christ was baptized not encourage you to follow him in obedience? If you have been, is it a mean of grace and blessing to remember you belong to Jesus Christ? Second, Do we understand that the act of baptism is a means of grace only as the inward reality is there and as it is met with us in prayer? Third, are we aware of and do we give thanks to the triune God for our salvation or do we tend to only think of Jesus, the second person of the Trinity? Does such a thought not, even now, bring you comfort and strength on this journey? Fourth, Do we find our confidence and joy in the fact that we have a perfect mediator between us and the Father through Jesus Christ? Do we believe that all our sins can be fully forgiven in Him alone? Lastly, are we aware of our frailty, or do we live day by day like tomorrow is owed us? In light of this, isn't our risen and glorious Savior all the more marvelous?